But right now, we're going to have some exciting preaching. Amen. Brother, Brother Hilton sent Brother Goff a message this afternoon and said, Preach it down, Brother Goff. And uh, I said, I don't care if you preach it down, preach it up, preach it sideways. Just preach it. That's all I care about. Just preach it. Praise God. Amen. I want you to come and preach it, my brother. We love and appreciate the Goffs very, very much. God bless you. Praise the Lord, everybody. Amen, amen. So good to be in God's house. Yes, yes, Feeling yes. the great presence of God that we feel here tonight. And I love and appreciate Pastor and Sister Riggin. Give honor to them. Uh, it's been an honor to be a part of this church family. Amen. To serve alongside of two great Christians. It seems the words seem a little lackluster, seem a little underwhelming. But they embody the word of a Christian, and I so appreciate their example that they set for this church assembly and this church family and to our community. Amen, amen, amen. Well, Pastor, I thank you for saying some of the words you did about time because you saved me from having to make some of those very same comments. And uh, I'll take that as a confirmation that God has given me the right word for tonight. And uh, I want to be able to just deliver my heart. Yes, sir. And I hope that you'll receive what God has placed on my heart. And uh, I want to just do what I can within my earthly body and move out of the way and let God have his way and work in some lives tonight. Amen. If you will turn with me to the book of James, James chapter 1, you'll be reading... Verses 1 through 6. Glad to have my lovely wife helping me on the organ. She's getting ready to stop here in a moment as soon as I start reading. So if I never read, then she'll stay up here. This is great. <laughs> At least there's somebody pretty on the platform, Pastor. <laughs> amen, amen. James chapter 1. Verse 1 through 6 says, James, a servant of God, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, Wanting nothing. If you lack, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. Amen, amen. If we could lay our Bibles down asking the great God of heaven to reach down and continue to touch and touch this word in our hearts tonight. Let's talk to him. Heavenly Father, we love you and we appreciate you, Master. I love you, Savior. You are worthy. You are so worthy. You are so worthy, Savior, I thank you. 
Amen. Let's give him glory tonight. We praise your name. We praise your name. Glory, Savior, I worship you, Master. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. You may be seated. It is exciting to see what God is doing in this church, this church family, the lives that are being impacted, changed, touched, the services we are having. God has so much more for us. And I just want to be right in the middle of everything that's happening. I don't have to be doing everything. I just want to be able to worship with everybody. I want to be able to celebrate your victories, your testimonies, the souls you win. I want to be a part of what God is doing in this city. Amen. It's important for us to be a part of the kingdom of God. I can't imagine my life without having God in it in my family, in my home, in my decisions I make at work, and the decisions I make with my family. Thank God that he is willing to put into each and every one of us his will if we will let him. Amen, amen. Well, tonight I want to deliver my heart. The message title is The Timeless Will of God. The Timeless Will of God. And if you allow me to go through a few details about the book of James, and we will cover just a few of those before we really get to the meat of what God has laid on my heart. I promised not take that long. Amen. Scholars believe the author of James was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. There are others that hold the opinion of uh, James the less, and there's other opinions that weigh in, but the ones that I found uh, most prominent of the resources I have available indicate that it was the half-brother of Jesus. A man of prominence in the early church. He was a chairman or a leader of the Christian elders, the assembly in Jerusalem. And the apostle James is mentioned in the story of Peter being imprisoned by Herod. And the angel came, comes to Peter by night as he slept shackled between two soldiers. And the angel commanded Peter to get up and get dressed and follow him out of prison. If I could just offer a side note, if you look at this, uh, not every position of responsibility places you in a place of prominence. The soldiers that were there enforcing the ruler, ruling of Herod, had to sleep in the same bed as the prisoner. You got to be careful what you ask for in life. Because at the end of this story, we know that when he was let out of prison and Herod inquired upon the jailer and those that were keeping uh, him safe, keeping Peter in the prison. He found out that he was gone and they could no longer locate Peter. They were put to death. So be careful what you ask for in life, what your flesh desires, because it may have you shackled to something that you can't let loose of in life. And you may end up dying on the vine thinking you are prominent. You are in a place of authority but you're laying in a prison cell, sitting there with the mice and the moisture and the water and the disease and everything's rampant, but you have a title. God does not plan for that in your life. He wants us to all be overcomers. He wants us to put on the goodly robes of the kingdom of God and walk in His footsteps and not with Him our own. 
But we find where Peter then comes to the house of Mary, the mother of John, and in the conversation, we know about how he's left at the door and left knocking and they're praying and he comes in and they say, go tell James and the rest of the elders. We see this James referenced. The book of James was written to the Christian Jews. You'll find that in our opening text. We find where it talks about to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And then he steps in with greeting. They were the believers of Jesus Christ, but yet they worshipped in the Jewish synagogues. We find that in James chapter 2 and 2, we won't turn there, but it talks about the assembly. And that same word is translated synagogue uh, in the New Testament 55 times. And there were Christian Jews mixed in with the Jewish culture throughout those cities. And they were believers that were scattered due to the persecution of none other than Saul. In Acts chapter 1, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, we find Saul is ravaging the church. This is right on the heels of the stoning of Stephen. And Saul was consenting unto his death, Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So we find that James is addressing those very same Christians that were scattered abroad due to Saul. So in their scattered state, James is writing to them as the head of the church in Jerusalem. And the intent is to comfort them in their trial of separation from the larger body of believers. And the tone from James no doubt have the political turmoil in mind at Jerusalem. To give us a better understanding of the context of how and when James was written, written, the book was written around 46 to 49 A.D. Now when we look at the book of Acts, which we will be spending some time in tonight, nearly half of the book of Acts was written, uh, took place between 33 and 48 A.D. And chapters 1 through 8 were written during the first part, which was through 33 through 35 A.D. So even though it's far deeper into the New Testament in your scriptures, we find that the book of James was one of the earliest books written in the New Testament. And so what we find is James is on the cusp, on right on the edge of the persecution. He's reaching out to those who had been scattered abroad and assembled themselves in other parts of those regions. And looking at verse 2 of our text, we see that James jumps right in the middle of living a victorious life in the midst of a trial. He jumps right to the meat of the matter. He doesn't waste words. He doesn't sit around and say things are great here. How on holiday the prison complain about this or complaining about what's going on. He jumps straight to the matter of trying to help those who were scattered abroad. He goes into verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptations. The mindset of the apostles, we find, the mindset was set for them to uh, be looking at and what they could do. They see them rejoicing in the fact that the Jewish council had counted them worthy of the same treatment as Jesus Christ. You can turn with me to Acts chapter 5. In verse 41, read a couple of verses of Scripture. 
In Acts chapter 5, verse 41, And they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. So we find that backs up the very same statement that I just made about them being joyful, that they were being able to say, uh, we were doing something in the name of Jesus. We were uh, doing what he had called us to do. We were following in his footsteps, and we were being persecuted for his name's sake. And it goes on to say in verse 42, and daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So regardless of whether or not they were being persecuted or not, they were then still stepping up and standing in the midst of adversity and saying, I'm still going to preach and teach Jesus Christ. They didn't back down, even though they're being pulled into courts, just like Jesus was that Bishop talked about this morning for healing and putting clay upon the eyes of a man that was blind on the Sabbath. We find that the people that were there, the apostles, the children that were following after Jesus, were not ashamed to stand in the midst of adversity and say, listen, I'll keep doing it no matter what. Now, in this day and age, we can say the Lord's coming back, and I do believe that that is happening just the way time is wrapping up and the way that occurrences are happening. You just have to wonder, how much time do we have? How much time do we have to where you can boldly say, I'm a Christian, and not have to hide it? How much time do you have when you can tell your employer, I'm going to church? How much time do you have where you can openly profess the name of Jesus Christ? How much time do you have? And what the Jewish rulers meant as dishonor or disgrace, the apostles received as honor. And James wrote about it because the church of Acts did it. They found the persecution as great joy because they knew Jesus Christ. So you find James admonishing them, find great joy in it. Find it to where you're not going to look down on it, knowing that this, the trying of your faith, worketh patience. And it's because you counted it all joy when you fell into divers' temptations. Now in this, I know the, the temptation in the Greek, it also talks about how you can be tempted in doing sin or you can be tempted in, in fulfilling the lust of the flesh and, and down that road. But this is talking about the adversity coming against you. A power coming against you. Not one that uh, you could say, well, I, I want to go out and, and smoke cigarettes. There's some things that want to keep you out of the house of God. There's some things that want to destroy your walk with God. There's some things that penetrate your mind and your desires that want to pull you out of the house of God, that want to keep you from walking to an altar and laying it all down for the sake of pride. I don't want anything to do with that. People will judge me, but let me tell you, the house of God, we all count it joy when we fall into divers' temptations. We find that the children that were walking in and out and teaching and preaching and healing in his name, they didn't say, no, I guess we're going to have to retire. 
I'm going to have to put up my scrolls. I'm going to have to stop going to the porch of Solomon. I'm going to have to lay up uh, the tables that I've been looking at and studying the word of God. I guess I'm done. But they said, no, I'm not done. I'm going to keep preaching and teaching the word of God. We find previously in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested and brought before the council and reprimanded to not teach or preach Jesus Christ. And the result of Jesus being preached is persecution and reprimand. And we see that it was not only an emotional persecution, but a physical one as well. The followers of Jesus were locked in prison. They were whipped. They were martyred all for the name of Jesus. The hearts of the true believers were rejoicing in the midst of this environment. Because they could do it all for the name of Jesus. And what is it that we allow to step into our life and pull out and diminish the name of Jesus? Say, oh, well, this is pretty important in my life. Uh, this is uh, something that they're going to say something against me if I make a social media post in the name of Jesus. If I, if I invite someone or hand them a church card, what will they think? And that is just childish when you compare to what the example of the early church did. We worry so much about, about what people think about us when they had an entire group pulling them into their courtrooms and judging them and telling them not to do it. And yet we will judge ourselves harsher than people would ever think about us. We'll say, I could never. They will, I just don't want to be known as Holy Joe, Brother Nelson. I don't want my people at work to think of me as a Christian that thinks that they're gray, I'm greater than they are. And I don't want them to judge me. And my expectations, if they know I go to church, are going to be increased because they will expect so much more from me. Pity your soul if you're willing to sell yourself that much shorter when God has promises that says joy, rejoice in the adversity coming against you. But we are sometimes our greatest critic. We are the ones that talk us out of witnessing to so many when we have our example. And just as a song that brother and sister Nelson sang, it gave examples just like Moses, just like Daniel, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he'll do it again. And those are great things to think about. But we won't let ourselves believe to the level that they believed because we think, oh, that's Old Testament. That's in Bible days. There's nothing changed except for humanity. And the way things are going in our life and the way we walk with God. Because God has not changed. He hasn't diminished in any way. His name still holds power. He's still the creator of the universe. He's the one that still holds everything in the palm of his hand. His will is still timeless. It's still relevant today. One thing... We must keep crystal clear in our mind is the fact that results were a precursor to perse persecution. 
It wasn't only the teaching of Jesus Christ that brought persecution, but it was the healings done in the name of Jesus Christ. And if you don't ever feel in what we feel as persecution today, if you don't feel anything coming against you ever, are there any results in your life to warrant persecution? I want to challenge you tonight. God is pushing this church. And it would be easy for us to slip into neutral and just let it say, this is a great time, what a great service. But what's the difference between great and with all your heart? What's the difference between great and with all your heart? God never commissioned the church to just be good. He commissioned us to be amazing, beyond imagination, to do things that people would stand in awe at and not walk in and say, this feels all right, I've seen this all before. But unless you've seen the dead raised, unless you've seen sins washed away in a watery grave, unless you've seen lives turned around, you have not seen the risen Savior's church that he's called us to be a part of. We can get okay with the stickers, and the pendants, the necklaces, the things that says I'm a Christian. You can be okay with throwing out something and say, well, I go to church. I work with a bunch of people like that. I know a bunch of people like that. But they have not seen what I've seen. They haven't seen what we've seen. We have to rise to the occasion. So when there's persecution, there's a reason. There's a reason. We're getting results in the spirit. We're getting results in people around us. We're getting results in our own personal lives. We're going deeper. And when you do, persecution will come. The moment the church takes one solid, firm step, it will wake up all of hell and they'll say, something's on the move. All it takes is for this church to stand up boldly against the gates of hell, calling upon the name of Jesus Christ, and take one step, and this city will be on notice. All the angels and principalities of this city, all they have to do is see one soul saved. One person the moment they begin to cry at an old repentant altar and begin to lay down their sins, you'll see heaven reach down and touch them and wash away their sins and touch them and caress away the tears and, and give them a new life. And the next thing you know, all of hell is at a rumble. They're in a turmoil. What's going on in Olathe? I thought we had them satisfied. I thought we had them soothed to sleep. I thought we were singing them the song of just being good. But excellence starts to rise up. It starts to burn within the breast of each and every saint of God. And our heart begins to beat that says, I can do more. And that is the timeless will of God. In Acts chapter 3, in verse 1, And Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. 
And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked an alms. And Peter fastened his eyes upon him with John and said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them and expecting to receive something of them. And then Peter said, said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength, and he leaped up, stood, he's, and he leaping up, stood and walked, entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which sat for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that that, that which had happened unto him. You see, what happens after this, we find they get called in to court as well. But it's because they were doing something. It wasn't because they walked in and checked in to the local hotel there and got their water and their warm cookie, went up there and got in their room and began to pray by themselves. No, they went to the house of God. And they begin to touch people. And they begin to walk in and say, I can't help you with silver and gold. I'm only commissioned in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And people were filled with wonder and amazement. Saints of God, does this church, does your walk with God amaze those around you? Does it fill them with wonder and amazement? Does it make them say there's something different about them? Or would they say, when you tell them, I go to church, would they say, I didn't know you went to church? But we find the apostles standing there. They didn't leave any doubt. Peter and John left no questions. They said, we can take care of this. We've got this. Took him by the right hand and lifted him up immediately. And his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he went leaping and walking. And he was a witness. The name, the apostolic, the apostles were active in preaching Jesus and doing miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. And the letter from James was founded upon faith in action. That's what James is founded upon. And in order to change your situation, there has to be action on your part. And to establish your walk with God, there has to be steps made by you. I can't do it for you. Bishop can't do it for you. Nobody else can do it for you. You can be satisfied with the chills that go up and down your spine. You can be satisfied with the wave of the hand and the tear that glistens at your corner of your eye. But God has so much more for you. He has such a deep walk with God waiting on you. All you have to do is respond to the timeless will of God. We see Jerusalem was a key location as the New Testament church was born. And James was in the midst of healings and the outpouring 
of the Holy Ghost. We know it's at Jerusalem. We know that the apostles were sent to Jerusalem based upon what Jesus told them to. We know that they went there to celebrate and they had done all their things in Jerusalem and the church was established. We know that Acts chapter 4 in verse 6 it says, And Annas, the high priest, and Cephas, and John, and Alexander, and as many as were the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. At Jerusalem, the very same place where James was writing. James was writing from experience, not just trying to console them when he wrote five chapters in the book of James. He was saying, I've seen this with my own eyes. He says, I've sat there and watched it happen with the apostles, my peers, and the church around me. He was saying, have patience. Let it do its perfect work in you. When you have everything come against you, count it all joy. Because I've walked and watched the apostles go into the courtroom and walk out and begin to teach and preach Jesus time and time again. I've watched those get up that have been lame. I've watched them be healed and rise and walk and go in and be a testimony to the life of Jesus and his impact in their life. James did not pen his letter as a contradiction to Paul in his writings with an emphasis on faith. James was not arguing good works as a means to salvation, but as a product of salvation. If you're saved, there will be action. If you're saved, there will be action. James has the theme of proof of true faith. Telling them, listen, if you're going to be called a Christian, there's going to be something you will do. And he lays it out. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. He gives them the key. He says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. It shall be given. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. We see that the example that uh, James had when he was penning this letter, something that was probably a fond memory at the foundation of the church in the book of Acts. It reads in Acts chapter 4, in verse 23, it says, And being let go, they went to their own company. This is after they had been brought before the leaders and told they couldn't do some things in the name of Jesus. And reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said unto them. And when they had heard that, they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord... Thou art God. Thou hast made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. Who by the mouth of thy servant David have said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? And the kings of the earth stood and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. And for a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles, the people of Israel, were gathered together. You find what it is. It's the perfect storm is what Jerusalem was. 
It was the absolute perfect place to be for the church to be born. We have all of these components come together and all it took was God to step in the middle of it and make a church blossom and grow. I was talking to Brother Nelson and I said it amazes me the type of people that are in this church. The talent, the quality, the people that are top shelf. Absolutely top shelf. There are churches, and I've said this and I'll say it again. There are churches that would love to have just one of you. Because you're a mover and a shaker. You're a part of the kingdom. You're willing to commit your life. You're willing to be involved in the kingdom of God. And just one church. I guess there would be many churches that would just be glad to have one of you walk through their doors and contribute what you do in this house, in this local body, among this church family. And you begin to wonder why. We cover every bit of the spectrum, Bishop. We have smart people in IT. We have people that are so smart in the engineering and the intellect and building maintenance. And we have people that can plan events. And we have people that know how to pray and intercession. And we have good quality preachers uh, in, in the house. And we have people that can sing. And we have people that can witness. And, and we have people that can reach out to others. And, and you wonder, why is it all coming together with this group of people? There's a reason. There's a reason. This is strategic. God has a plan. The timeless will of God has given each and every one of us experience and brought us together for such a time as this. We're not has-beens. We're not washed up. We're not people that's been kicked out of other churches and other people's homes and out of other people's lives. We have been brought to this house for a reason. We have been brought together to give God glory and to build a church in this assembly, in this house, in this church family, with your friends and your family. That's what this church is. Reading on in verse 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Saints, if you don't think that this church is under attack, you really need to take your eyes and open them up wide, and you'll see things that are happening coming against this church, trying to keep revival from happening. Every time we take a step, there's an onslaught of the devil that rises up and says, I'm going to pull this one. I'm going to touch this one. I'm going to change this one. I'll cause mass distraction. I'll do whatever I can to keep them from making progress in one service because the devil knows what God is trying to do. He cannot stop. It is the timeless will of God that we all pray the prayer that they're praying here in the book of Acts. It's the will of God that we bind together in prayer and we find our place, our way of reaching for Him and saying, let us speak Thy Word. There's a reason why power followed them. They asked to speak His Word. They didn't say, I want position, I want popularity. They said, Thy Word. 
It was a level playing field. Everybody came together and they began to pray. And by stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spake the word of God with boldness. Sounds like an answered prayer. It sounds like great God of heaven stepped in the midst. All they had to do was come together and let their words be melted together in lifting up him and worshiping him. I don't hear anyone say I or my group, my clique, my posse, my squad. It was everybody came together. All of them came together. It was the pursuit of boldness that opened the door in Jerusalem. Sincere prayers would get the attention of God, whether it be for salvation or whether it be for provision through a trial. We look again at Acts chapter 5. We see there were souls added to the church, miracles performed, all because there was a people that wasn't ashamed of the cause of Christ. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were added more, were more added to the Lord, both multitudes, both of men and women. It all happened when they all came together. It all happened when they let the will of God take its place in their life. That is the only reason they had this. Because we just read in Acts chapter 4 where they said, give us boldness. And they had boldness. They went to Solomon's porch and they began to preach Jesus Christ. And there were people added to the Lord. In verse 15, in so much that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing might overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. What a record. What a testimony. What a wonderful work that he did. He did it all because they decided you can't silence the voice of the church. You cannot shut the voice of those that are willing to come together. You can't shut us down. You can't overtalk us. You can't distract us. We're willing to come together in the single place of Jerusalem where it all started. But we as today, this church, the truth church, has been called together to come and assemble in this place. In one spirit, in one mind, in one prayer effort, saying, God, let us speak the word. The reason God brings hungry hearts around the church is to meet their needs, not to make them a part of a number. The church of the living God is vibrant. 
It's changing lives. The musicians would come. We find that Jerusalem came alive with revival. We see where scripture after scripture, it launched them into depths that they would never know if they had not committed themselves to what they did in prayer. Time of fasting and consecration. Healings were made plentiful. So many people were healed as they brought them in from the cities, not just in Jerusalem, but all around. Salvation was poured out, not just in onesie twosies. The Bible says multitudes of both men and women. The Apostle James was able to write to the believers that were spread abroad because he experienced the power of God through Jerusalem. And there is a host of witnesses tonight that can testify to the saving power of Jesus Christ. We could take the whole evening into the next day giving our testimony about the power of the Word of God in each and every one of our lives. And it is the will of God that salvation is given to the brokenhearted. Strength in time of trial is placed upon your heart and lifting you up. There is no need for anyone in the house of God tonight to walk out with sorrow resting upon their shoulders. There is no need for anyone to walk out those doors still having sin plaguing their heart. There is no need for anyone to walk out feeling sorry for themselves. It is better for you to be forgiven. It is better for you to be saved and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ than to walk out the same way that you walked in tonight. There is no reason that you need to walk out not fired up for the house of God, for the kingdom of God, and doing the will of God. There is no reason for you to walk out and not be changed. This word, this service, this God is here to change somebody's life tonight. It worked for the people in the book of Acts. And where do we trace our roots back? The book of Acts. We can't say we just had the tongue-talking experience, the baptism in Jesus' name, and we can't say we have the opportunity to repent and say that limits us and we stop doing what the book of Acts taught us and showed us. There is examples that's been set before us. It's time for us to pray for that boldness, that boldness, that boldness, that boldness that the church has, the boldness that the church requires. Good is not good enough. The timeless will of God is for us to step away from that carcass called good and okay, and we did the job, and we rise to the occasion, and we speak the word of Christ. That's what we've been called to. It is here to strengthen us. It strengthened the church in the book of Acts, in the book of James. And it's available today in your time of need. God's will is timeless. It is without end. He wants to build a church. It's when he says we're done that this old life here on earth wraps up. When he holds time, that means he can extend and shorten at any moment. He holds time.
It's His provision. And if you think you have all the time in the world, we've had three people in the last week and a half that I know that have passed away. I went to funerals, had friends die, had family die. Had workers, laborers in the gospel pass away. Four people, I'm sorry, that I know that have passed away and they thought they had time. Some were in church and some weren't. It rains on the just and the unjust. But God has a will for your life tonight. And you have to respond to His will. And you have to say, God, put the word in my heart. So when I speak, I speak you. Not me, not I. In 2 Peter chapter 3, a verse of Scripture we're so familiar with. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It doesn't say... Feel good about yourself. It doesn't say, oh, well, you made an attempt. It doesn't say goodness. It doesn't say being okay. It doesn't say being a good Christian. It says repentance. It means I'm walking away from myself, my desires, my wants, everything I want out of life. Everything that I would say I, he's wanting us to lay it down. And say, God, forgive me. Forgive me and wash me as we stand tonight. Lifting our hands as the church body. Asking God for His strength tonight. Let us rise to the occasion of Your will, God. Let us have that strength and that desire that we reach for You with all of our heart. Wanting You, Master, and nothing more. Not mine of ourselves. Not my desires. But God, you give us an example in the book of Acts. You give us testimony in the book of James. You have the great apostle testify to that fact. The church is life changing. And what is promised in the word of God is available today. And as pastor taught this morning about the Holy Ghost, now is the perfect opportunity to let God change your heart or your situation. If you came to the house of God in need tonight, count it joy. You're in the right place. If you came to God in a time of wanting and not knowing what's right in your life, count it joy. You came to the right place. God will turn your situation around. If you'll do what the church in Acts did and cry out to God, He'll answer you. People cried out in need of salvation. As pastor read this morning in Acts chapter 2, men and brethren, what shall we do? And the man of God stood and said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall. Ye shall. Everybody say ye shall. Oh, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That is a promise today. But saints of God, it doesn't just stop at salvation. If we're willing to come to an altar as the body of Christ, and we're willing to say, God, unite us. Allow us to see what's going on around us. Reveal to us. Show us what's coming against the church. 
so that I can be a valuable asset in this battle that's taking place as we lift our hands and talk to him tonight, church. Oh, hallelujah. Let's talk to him. Lifting our voices as one, crying out to him. Master, we love you. We worship you. We thank you, Jesus. Oh, let's talk to him tonight. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Everything is in God's hands. He's got it all. He's got it all, saints. He has everything under control. He has it all. Everything. Everything we can even ask for. He has it all. We just got to give it to Him. If someone would like to come and pray, I would encourage you to come bring whatever needs you may have in your life. Rejoice in this moment. You don't have to walk away carrying that burden of sin. Rejoice in it. Saying, God, you gave a word for me. I want to respond. Just as the book of James is a call to action. This message. Respond. Respond to the will of God that he wants to do in your life. He would that all would be saved and none would perish. Saints, he would all that we rise to the occasion. He has called us all, sons and daughters, lifting up his voice, the voice that he has given us. I'm saved. I'm redeemed. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I've had a cleansing from the fountain. My soul is refreshed. I'm so happy. Oh, let's talk to him.